Hello, I'm Katie Brain and you're listening to Goodness Gracious Grief. You're either here because I know you and I've told you to listen, or you found your way here through grief yourself. Maybe you've lost someone or maybe you're close to losing someone and you want to know how it might feel. I've experienced loss before, but I hadn't experienced grief until about three years ago. And although I have experienced grief, I don't think I really gave myself enough time to grieve. And death is definitely something that I'm not comfortable with. So really, that's my reason behind this podcast. I will be talking to people about death, exploring different faiths and theories surrounding death, as well as looking at ways in which we can help each other grieve or even provide comfort to someone who is grieving because we've all been in that awkward situation where we just got no idea what to say. Three years ago, I lost my dad to myeloma. He was a lot sicker than I thought. Um, Obviously, I knew he was ill, but I didn't quite know how serious his cancer was. Me and my dad didn't have the closest relationship, but he was in and out of hospital. He was having his chemotherapy and suddenly he went into the hospital for something completely unrelated and he was in there for over a month. I visited him nearly every day as much as I could, uh, taking him sweets and ice lollies, but I'll talk about that another time. Um, And one day I was taken aside by the nurses and... I got told that my dad only had a few months to live. Um, If that wasn't shock enough, uh, fast forward a week later and my dad passed away. Um, So I guess I I didn't have much time to prepare at all. Um, And being next of kin, I had a lot of responsibilities to take on uh, after my father's death. So I used this new responsibility as my coping mechanism and I allowed it to consume my time and my thoughts and I didn't leave much space for anything else. But I'll tell you more about my journey and what I've learned about myself as we go on but I wanted to start this podcast by introducing you to one remarkable woman who has turned her grief into a greater cause. Linda Magistris lost her partner Graham to a rare cancer, a soft tissue sarcoma, on September 2nd, 2014. Since then, she founded the Good Grief Trust, which aims to raise awareness of issues around bereavement and is trying to change the way in which people deal with this taboo subject in the UK. This is Linda's story. about Graham and how did you and Graham meet? I was in Grange Hill um, so I studied at a theatre school called Italia Conti from age of 11 um, and about 13 when I was 13 uh, we were cast uh, many of us actually from the from the school in a program called Grange Hill which is very popular back in 1978 when it launched so I played one of the lead characters called Susie and uh, Graham happened to be one of our directors so he was um, a little bit older than me, he was about 11 years older than me, and we just all worked together, and he went off, and I carried on in Grange Hill, and then weirdly, very strangely, 30 years later, um, locally where I live, near Wimbledon, I suddenly heard this voice calling Linda, and um, and there was Graham Teakston, I hadn't seen him since I was like 14, um, and he'd gone off and he'd won a BAFTA and he'd started some incredible work and he'd just been very, very successful in the business. 
and there he was and and that was it really he just said um you know should we go for, have lunch and and off we went and and it was just i think you know now i feel like it was sort of meant to be so how long did you and graham have together we um had a really lovely relationship for about eight years and but sadly a year before he died, he died in 2014, he suddenly started getting sort of a numb feeling on his left side. Um, and he was writing, actually. He'd been directing all his life, as I say, very successful. And then he wanted to write and produce, so he got some scripts out in L.A. and Fox, and he was really excited about going out there and producing some really amazing work. And, and sadly, he just didn't feel well at all, but... Um, it was missed, so he was being discharged one day um, <clears throat> from a hospital in South London, and then they said, well, he's had all these operations and tests and everything else, and nobody could really work out what on earth was going on. And then um, they said had, he had an MRI scan on his shoulder, and he said no. I mean, he's had absolutely everything else. <laughs> and they came back and said, I'm really sorry, but there's a tumour there, and it was um, a soft tissue sarcoma, which was very rare and sadly sarcomas are on um are on the muscle the tissue so it's very difficult to um operate actually um a sarcoma so so yeah so he was started being treated and they sort of gave him an 18 month diagnosis to two years to survive which was scary enough as it was but Mm. um he only lasted it five and a half months and then he died so yeah it was really really tough and five and a half months after a diagnosis is not long at all how how do you even you know come to terms with that diagnosis and how how did you feel when that grief first hit you yeah well you don't I mean basically it's just shock and you're in a fog so what I've learned is you know having spoken to so many people since I launched the charity that um, most people are just in shock for a very long time. Um, and that, I think, sadly is a bit of a misconception with with those who haven't had a significant bereavement in, in as much as, you know, sort of people are told they should start moving on after a certain time. So, yeah, I mean, it's very, very difficult. I sort of carried on work for about six months and then I hit a wall um, and I couldn't really cope at all. So I went to my GP and I asked for support, but I was signposted to one charity that um, offered counselling, but sadly it wasn't available in my area, so I had to, well, in desperation, pretend that I lived in a borough that was neighbouring to me so mm. I, I could get the, the um, counselling because I couldn't wait. I think the waiting was some, some waiting list was something like six months for a group session, um, and I sort of needed I, to talk to other people. I, I really felt that that's what I needed, but again, they didn't have anything, so I had to take what they had, which was a one-to-one counselling session. So I went for four sessions. I just cried through the whole lot. Um, and it sort of didn't really help. I mean, I think obviously it did help initially because offloading on family and friends when you're just sobbing, nobody really can cope with that. So it's very difficult. So I thought, right, okay, I'll go back to my GP. So I asked and, um, and there wasn't anything else available to me really. Um, so I was offered antidepressants and medication. I thought, oh, gosh, it's not right for me. I'm, I'm really anti-medication. So for me personally, it just didn't work. So I just thought, what on earth am I supposed to do? So I just went on the internet and I accidentally found an incredible charity that 
said it supported people who were under 50 who'd lost their partner. I thought, gosh, that's me, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, amazing. So I went on, it's called Widowed and Young Way, amazing. Um, it's a peer-to-peer support, so up and down the country they have hundreds, if not thousands now, actually, of people, wherever you live, who have lost a partner. And I thought, wow, okay, this is what I need. So I, I was an event planner, and I started putting... Um, events together and we all met up for coffee and drinks and dinner and there you go that was it I suddenly started talking to people who've been through the same sort of thing and I thought well this is it this is what I needed and what I couldn't understand when I went back to my GP and the hospital where he was treated and um but they'd never heard of this charity and I thought that is just ridiculous what on earth is going on you know why are these health professionals struggling why do they not know what is available to their patients and their patients' relatives and everyone else. I just thought, why do we not have a resource that can help the professionals and also the bereaved? Mm. Um, and I went to the, chat at the hospital where Graham was treated, um, and they had every... I went to the McMillan office, actually, and they had every cancer support charity um, going, which is amazing, but they had absolutely nothing for anyone who's bereaved. And they said, well, if you'd like to maybe start a support group, we could, you know, help you in, in that. And I thought, well... Hang on a minute, I'm bereaved, you know, I need someone to help me. Um, so it was all a bit bizarre. And I thought, no, okay. And then I started talking to all the major charities and, and I linked through BBC Breakfast actually. I went I was asked to go on and talk about my my experience of grief losing Graham and I met other people and it was literally through that really and I thought, Oh, okay. Other people seem to be going through the same as me and that was I met people who lost children and older Older children, babies, miscarriage, um, you know, parents, partners, siblings, and the majority of them, because then I started doing a lot of in-depth research, had been through the same situation. They had not been signposted on day one to a choice, and that was my, my key thing. I needed a choice because what I was given was a very limited um, one-leaflet choice. So I, I guess when when you needed help the most, you just found that kind of all these services in the UK that were available were quite sporadic, and yeah. and I mean death and grief it, it happens to to everyone. It's a, a national issue, and everyone's going to be faced with with a death in their family at yeah, some it's point. A issue, isn't it? I mean, yeah, every single one per, person on the planet. I mean, we're all going to lose somebody, but you know, human race. That was what I couldn't understand. You know, we're intelligent creatures. You know, why could we not help each other and find the support that was out there? So, yeah, I mean, I started working with the NHS and I piggybacked on a program called Building on the Best, which was amazing because it was trying to develop and improve end-of-life care. And I thought, well, if I go in as a volunteer and start talking to bereavement managers, so I started speaking to lots of people who who sort of um, managed and helped those who were bereaved within those hospital trusts and they all seemed to have the same problem. They were giving information, they were given local information, but it seemed to be very limited. And if those charities and organisations were not, first of all, kept up to date because it was on a piece of paper and a brochure, um, you know, when you're bereaved, to pick up the phone is a really big deal. Yeah. To pick up the phone and to try and find something that's right for you is really exhausting. It's bad enough waking up in the morning and putting the kettle on, you know. It can be that debilitating and that's what I didn't understand it didn't seem to be recognized it didn't seem to be acknowledged um and I thought well this is mad you know all these amazing charities seem to be 
all over the place. You know, they're not in one place that can be simple, easy, quick, and and sort of really um, non sort of stressful. You know, because when you're going through grief, you've got to deal with so many different things. You know, particularly if if you've got a family and you're trying to support young children, or if you've got to sort out utilities and bills and you know, it's just too much, you know, let alone the grief and the realisation that you've actually lost somebody and the person that you loved most in the world is sitting on your shelf in a pot or is under the ground mm-hmm. somewhere. It's, it's too much for your for your head to bear, really. Absolutely. And I guess you don't understand grief, do you, until you've been through it yourself. And it's so yeah. hard to describe those feelings I think the best word for me I think is you know detached you just become unaware of everything else around you and and everything else is just you know a huge job on top of everything that you're you're dealing with so you're just like detached in this this own world of your of your own going through all these emotions and and not to have that support is a is a nightmare so obviously this is where the the good grief trust comes in yeah, so as I said, I'd met with all these other sort of major charities who have been working in bereavement and grief for, for many years, and I sort of took a lot of information from them, and I was very grateful for what they offered, but I just thought, well, hang on, you know, we still haven't actually brought everything together, and it's not up to date, and many of those numbers that I used to phone, uh, they were out of action, you know, and I thought, gosh, this can't happen, it has to be up to date, so I thought, right, okay, it has to be a website, it has to be an online resource, so... We as volunteers, I mean, our trustees, I put together a registered charity, which we launched on BBC Breakfast in September 2016. And um, we as women, basically, who had lost um, partners and husbands, started working together. And we had volunteers who would then try and find as many bereavement services across the country, whether that's John O'Groats to Land's End, everywhere, um, and that's either the local coffee shop or the church hall, all the way through to the big major charities, you know, the helplines, the daytime ones, the evening ones. Um, we put together this website, basically, and we re- then recorded over 100 YouTube videos, and that's yeah. for people who have lost somebody significant in their life, and it's also from the health professional's point of view. So we put all those together on a YouTube channel, which are now on our website. We put articles together of people who had lost grandparents and cousins and as many different types of bereavement as we could possibly manage onto the website. We tried to sort of um, bust a lot of funeral facts. We tried to sort of open conversations and signpost people to the right support. We've got a UK support page that if you just put your postcode in, it will come up with all the type of um, bereavement support organisations and services that are in your area. So that was launched in September 2016. Um, and we now have over 600 organisations on the database. Fantastic. And and grief, you know, doesn't doesn't come in in one form. It, it's all shapes and sizes. So the amount of people that you've, you've met through your, your charity now and the experiences that they're all having, there must be so many individual cases. And I, I guess you're not surprised by some of the stories that people come to you with now. On a daily basis, we're contacted via our Facebook page in our inbox from people who are really, really struggling. And that could be that their partner died last week, or it could be that their father died 40 years ago. We had a lady whose father died 40 years ago, and she sent in capital letters, help. And so we signposted her to our website, to the UK support page. She lived up in the north. 
she then uh, found the support near her. And she said in capital letters, thank the Lord um, for you, because what had happened was she was really struggling and she was having severe mental health issues. And at the end, she said that she'd finally found someone who could see her in six weeks instead of eight to ten months um, by the usual channels that nobody had known that this organisation was near her. She said, I've been living here for 26 years. I had no idea. And she said she wasn't suicidal anymore. I mean, that is you know, so significant, so profound, that we don't recognise that people 40 years down the line could be festering and that grief could be really, really debilitating. It could have ruined their whole lives. So what we want to do is, on day one, via the Good Grief Card, which is a, a new initiative that we have to go in tandem with the website. So there's no point in having a website if no one knows about it. So we want this card, which we hope will be... Um, won't get dogged, won't go in the bin, won't sort of, you know, get shriveled up like a piece of paper would. But you can put it in your wallet, it signposts the bereaved and their friends and family and also the health professionals to the website immediately on day one. So they know they have support, they know someone understands and they know they're not going crazy because that is often a lot of the sort of feedback that we get is that they feel very isolated or we feel very isolated, very alone. And you think you're going utterly mad because nobody seems to understand. Did the Good Grief Trust help you when you lost Graham? Was it a kind of a coping me- uh, mechanism, or did grief? Did you find it changed you as a person? I mean, I have changed, but so I feel like I've taken a truth pill since Graham died. <laughs> you know, it's like I've got to say the truth. This is what's happening. You know, got to do it, people. I mean, it must have helped me cope, I should imagine. But because I'm fueled every day, I wasn't since Graham died, you know, hearing these stories. I mean, for some reason, I was given a whole catalogue of really negative experiences. And that was the day that he died all the way through with different organisations, different charities, different services that didn't seem to do what they were meant to do or that for me it wasn't right. And I kept thinking, hang on a minute, this can't be right. So for, for whatever reason, um, I was given a challenge as far as I was concerned. It was sort of something that I, my path seemed to be taking. And I was sort of on this mission driving um, uh, sort of for good, really, and, and for, to try and just make the positive changes because I kept experiencing really negative things along the way. Um, and I thought, well, hang on a minute, other people are feeling the same. It's not just for me. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously helped me because it's, made me feel as though um, I'm doing something that is is really helpful because we can see that via our website. I mean, our, web, our um, Facebook reached over a million just after Christmas and we've had something like 186,000 engagements per month. So there is a need and I think that more people who get in contact with us on a daily basis or via the website, via our social media platforms and you see the feedback and you see the people supporting each other, there is a massive massive need for opening conversations for radically thinking rethinking the way that we deal with the most natural thing in the world which is dying and talking about it that has become the most unnatural thing ever that we all avoid and it's just ludicrous what are your plans going forward what we want to do is on day one say look we are here, we understand, we are run by the bereaved for the bereaved, 
We want to signpost you to help. We want to try and get all these little organisations on the map and their voices heard. And I think that's what drives me forward is I understand and I know now how much this is needed and how much we as a nation um, you know, need to talk about this. I mean, there are many charities and huge organisations that have been working for years in this field and now they are changing. I mean, even for things like Sue Ryder, I met with the other day, you know, they are rebranding to add bereavement to their logos because they understand this is a big issue. It's a singular issue that we as a nation have not really addressed. And that drives me forward. That was Linda Magistris, founder of the Good Grief Trust, which is run by the bereaved for the bereaved. If you have recently lost someone close to you or you're still struggling with grief sitting on your shoulder, then visit www.thegoodgrieftrust.org. The charity exists to help those affected by grief in the UK, where they cleverly bring together all the bereavement services around the country to ensure that everyone receives the support they need to move forward in their lives. On the next episode of Goodness Gracious Grief, I'll be talking to the founder of the Death Cafe Movement, a place where you can go and chat about death and dying in a safe environment. I'm Katie Brain, and you've been listening to Goodness Gracious Grief.